you gotta handle the rock with flair and rhythm if you wanna be judged on wood grain and concrete courts in New York. This ain't no nickel and dime. It's dribbling dimes where scoring never looked this good. I guarantee it. But was your reputation built from the playground up? Or did you call next when they took that ish? Or cause you weren't as fast as police and ambulance sirens? Or as loud as Mr. Softy Ice Cream? No. You see, this is New York City hoops in prime time. As beautiful as the skyline, it's dribbling dimes. What's up, y'all? This is Emilio, the poet. Yo, what's good? This is Manny Digital, and welcome to another episode of Dribbling Dimes. Um, this is the the COVID nineteen segment of the program. Again, um, we've been social uh, distancing, baby. Get yeah. get away from me. Yeah, yeah. We we <laughs> we really really practicing that social distancing. Um, this is a, now our second quarantine episode. Uh, we're trying to make it happen via technology. So thank you for the. F- Wonderful tech you guys have at Skype, uh, you Microsoft motherfuckers. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, so today. So, so I, I'll apologize in advance if if some of the audio might sound a little quirky. Um, we're doing the best we can, so hopefully, um, the, you know, the the story comes out, uh, even though it might sound a little choppy. It's just the way of the world right now. So, whole lot. Um, so, so with us, we have another guest, um, and, and this gentleman has been an assistant coach on the staffs of Tulane, Manhattan College, Iona College, Drexel, St. John's, Fordham, uh, like, that sounds, sounds like a lot, right? <laughs> uh, he's, you, 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 you forgot Manhattan College, too. I said, I said Manhattan, I said Manhattan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, just a dinosaur, <laughs> Um, he, he sat on the benches of, of some notable names, uh, some that come to mind, Jeff Rulin, uh, Mike Dunleavy Sr., Fran Fraschilla, uh, several others. I'm not, not I'm avoiding naming them only because I haven't done enough research, not because they're not worthy. <laughs> um, he's a person uh, that actually, I want to say, was responsible for getting Book Richardson into the NCAA coaching ranks and uh, is also a very close friend. Uh, among, among amongst others, yeah. Amongst others, yeah, yeah. I heard you kind of the godfather of this thing, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about it. Uh, he also played his high school ball at All Hollows, uh, which which by default almost means he's a bronze cat, but in this case, he actually is. Uh, he That's led true. his 1985 team to the New York City and New York State championships, and not to mention he was also the valedictorian of his senior class. So the dude got got the brain skills also. Damn, man, you can boy and, and you smart as shit. Yeah, I, I, I hide it well, man. I hide it well. Man. Some people just got it all. With with us today, we've got Mr. Tony Childs. Yo, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, during this crisis. <laughs> I'm busy right now, man. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm bouncing off the walls, man, losing my mind. But it's good, though. It's all good. I hear that. Um, so we we um, we normally start. I guess it's getting kind of old hat at this point for a lot of folks. But 
Um, we usually start trying to understand where, where people got their start in, in hoops, right? Um, kind of that first major memory of when basketball became a significant part of their lives. When was that for you? Oh, man, I mean, to tell you the truth, man, basketball has been in my life since I can remember, man. I can remember four or five years old uh, watching my father play over at Claremont Center over on Washington Avenue, 169th. Uh, my brother and I going to watch his games, man, and then just pretty much I, I can't remember not being involved in basketball. Like my, my earliest memory is of, is of basketball. Yeah. Wow. Tell me, tell me, um, um, what were some of your influences besides your, maybe your immediate family uh, as far as you getting into the game or even playing the game yourself? Uh, well, I, I grew up in Highbridge, man, over, you know, right on the hill up there, 169th in Ogden. And, you know, we just... That's that's pretty much all we did, man. I mean, we didn't really have any money or anything like that. So just right. growing up, you know, it was, you know, go home, do your homework, get in the park with your dudes in the neighborhood, and we just played, man, until, you know, it was time to go home. So, right. I mean, a lot of great players that came up over that way, and I just, you know, that's all we did. That's all we did, man, you know. Nice. nice. And uh, so having, having all those uh, basketball influences around you, I mean, as far as, like, you know, everything, everything anybody ever did when it was recreationally, uh, relevant had to do with hoops, right? So that that does a, a bunch of different things. It, it it encourages a whole long and and fruitful chain of competition amongst each other, right? Um, in that era, we're talking what eighties, right? Oh, uh, well, I mean, my younger my younger days was seventies, but I mean, you know, once I started to kind of get good and people started to realize I could play a little bit, I'd say early eighties. You know, late seventies. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and the climate in New York, coming up in that area of the Bronx, how was it? Like, how how were the streets back then? I mean, socially, it was. I mean, we didn't realize we were we were broken poor, but I mean, it was it was bad. I mean, you know, there were situations where you know we had blackouts. You know, the the, the city wouldn't pick up trash. I mean, I think everybody I knew I grew up with had holes in their sneakers. You put the cardboard in the in the bottoms, holes in your socks, and you know, but, you know, we had the basketballs with the lumps in them. So just, I mean, we didn't, we really didn't have much, but, you know, if everybody around you don't have anything, you just think that's just what it is. It's par, for, right. par for the course. You know, if, if I could just interject, um, I just recently saw some, it's funny you mentioned about the trash thing. Um, I recently attended a friend's church, right? And he was brought up in the 70s, et cetera, from Manhattan. And he told me about the same thing. Um, there's the Young Lords, which was the, black, the Puerto Rican version of the Black Panther movement. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. so they what happened was back where he was in Manhattan, <clears throat> they had towers of garbage in the middle of the yeah. street. Yeah, so we, all, went, we, all, we so that was in Manhattan, but the, that happened. Yeah, so I, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. Everybody that you would bring it all to one place. It was like a big mountain. It was, and out of fire. Yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. That's crazy. Man. <laughs> different times, man. Different times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you found your way to All Hallows. T- tell us how that actually transpired. Well, I wouldn't say I found my way to all house. Um, I went to uh, 126, which is um, right on 166th Street in Ogden Avenue, and there was a gym teacher there named Joe Dillon. And um, he played with my father on my father's basketball team, a white guy, but he, you know, he's, he's the blackest white dude I've ever known in my life. <laughs> a great guy, man. He, he, kept, he kept all the neighborhood guys out of trouble. So he wasn't just a gym teacher. Like He was literally, he would eat, at, eat dinner at my house and stuff like that. Uh, and and to tell you the truth, I mean, he, he knew me better than most people. And and 
unlike, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say unlike, but like most young guys, I was girl crazy. You know, so he's like, listen, man, we ain't going for this. We're going we're gonna to grab this little dude by the collar. We're going to take his ass over here to this all-boys school. And right. um, he took me over one day, and we sat down with Coach Carey, and he's like, listen, this is where you're going to go to school. Um, but also a backdrop is um, it goes back. I talked about before we got on. I talked about Ed Gonzalez, who's one of my best friends. Uh, Troy Truesdale, who played at All Hollows and then played at Iona, um, was from my neighborhood. So he played on one of my father's team. My father coached him. So I, I would go and watch Troy and Ed play at All Hollows. They were four years ahead of me. So it was it was kind of a natural progression, man. Troy, Troy, between Troy and Joe Dillon, they just kind of you know grabbed me up like, listen, man, this is where you're gonna go to school. And I'm like, okay, I walked down the stairs. It was an easy commute. You know, no big deal. Yeah. Nice, nice. That's uh, so. Get, get. No, what I, that's what's up. That's what's up. Um, so talk to me about that because um, what I what I picked up from that was like mentorship early on in the early age. Um, how do you how did you see that? And then have you been able to do that for others, or was that something important for you to do to carry forward in your life because of what you were afforded as a, as a child? Well, well, to tell you the truth, man, I mean, back then in, in the area of the Bronx that I grew up, it was kind of difficult to get to, to Highbridge. Like, there was only two buses right. that went up there. They used to call it the Hill. You know, oh, okay. The, 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 yeah, the West Side. So you, that was kind of a forgotten part of the Bronx. Gotcha. Everybody in that area, if you played, I mean, like, we kind of were like, I hate to say it, but like, we were like a village. I mean, we all took care of each other. So right. the older guys, the basketball players, you know, we'd go and the younger guys would be on the side. Like Walter Berry from my neighborhood, uh, John mm -hmm. Morton and I grew up together from my neighborhood. So we would all be in the park, and the older guys, we, we were lucky. They, you know, they, they needed a spot. They let one of us or two of us play and stuff like that. So everybody kind of looked out for each other. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where, you know, even to the, even like the guys that were getting money in the streets, you know, they, they didn't let you get into that, but they saw that you had a future or something going on. They kind of took care of you. They kept you out of trouble. Like, yo, man, you know you ain't got no business doing this. What are you doing around here? That kind of stuff. So... So that part of the Bronx was a little bit more of a like a tight knit family. Like so, people from like Highbridge, you hear them when they talk about, it, they kind of stick their chest out. Like yo, man, I'm from I'm from, I'm from the hill. I'm, yeah, I'm from Highbridge. <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. And, and, and to tell you the truth, it, it, it was like that growing up, man. And everybody kind of looked out for each other, man. And they thought that you could do something one way or another, even if it was you know, hip hop or or basketball or whatever it is. They kind of tried to help keep you in that keep you in your lane, for lack of a better term. One yeah. of those one of those people. Um, that kind of kept you in your lane was was your brother. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So tell us about that dynamic because I know I know you you alluded to in the, in the beginning before we started recording uh, the path he chose. How did that help you and kind of where did he end up? Uh, and, it, and it's funny because I mean, like I had a two family household. I mean, two parent household. My, my mother, and my father. And, uh, you know, most people in the basketball world, like even when I mentioned to you, never put one and one together. But, um, you know, my brother, uh, Kevin Child, um, you know, was one of the biggest drug dealers in the United States, you know, during the crack era. Actually, he has a book out right now. Go, go, go cop that, man. The crack, the crack era, the, the rise, the fall, the redemption of Kevin Child. And, um, we, we grew up in the same house, uh, and he actually was a really, really good basketball player. I mean, he was, he was much really? better than I was. Much better. Wow. And, and to tell you the truth, he, he taught me how to be a point guard because he could really, really score. And if I didn't give him the ball, he would beat me up. So that's kind of <laughs> – <laughs> I, 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 I kind of figured out how to get to what I need to get. That'll do it. You know? Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. But, I mean, but um, you know, as, as we grew up and you know, as I started to get into high school, you know, he, he kind of – 
he was always was kind of a hustler. Always, you know, between you know, he would sell uh, newspapers on Sundays, uh, comic books, uh, scalp tickets at Yankee Stadium. It kind of morphed into him, him, him being one of the biggest drug dealers in, in the United States during the crack era. And um, he kind of kept me out of trouble, you know. I mean, you know, and like I said, it was the same type of thing. I mean, he, he went to graphic arts, which was called Printing High School back then. And okay. I actually wanted to go there. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he went there. I, you know, my, my brother, I looked up to him, and, you know, he could do no wrong in my eyes. And, um, you know, and he, he realized that, you know, he did what he had to do to kind of help my family kind of get out of poverty. I mean, we, 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 we were poor, really, really poor. And like, I'm the first person in my family to ever graduate from college. So wow. it's one of those things where he did what he did to kind of to, to help me and help my family. And um, it's funny because people say, wait a minute, how do you, both of you guys grow up in the same household? You, high school valedictorian, go on to Columbia and graduate. And your which, brother ended up being one of the biggest drug dealers in New York City's history. Which, by and the I way, you, uh, I don't want you discounting the fact that, because you said, one of the first people that graduated college in your family. You can't. You can't call where you went college. You. You have to say I went to. <laughs> I went to university. That's what you're supposed to say. <laughs> Columbia University. Well, I, it's the only school I went to, so I went to college. I mean, at night I got bounced around. You know, and, and, and I make light of it. And my brother, like we, we're we're each other's idol, for lack of a better oh, term. Because that's I know dope. if it wasn't for what he did to help me and my family and my friends in the neighborhood that I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And he talks about it all the time that, you know, hey, you know, my brother graduated from one of the best schools in the world. And and I know that I I made that easier for him because he didn't have to really worry about things that I would have had to worry about. Yeah. And and like I said, if you get a chance, you know, you know, you'll Google him, you know, cop the book. It's really, really interesting story. man. I just think that, if it wasn't for the decisions he made, you know, I'm not, I'm not here talking to you guys right now. I probably would have went in that direction and got myself into some trouble because that's just, you, you didn't really have, I mean, we, like, we were so poor, that neighborhood was so poor that, you know, if you had an opportunity to try to find some money and, and do some things, man, look, more, more people did not went in that direction. You, you know, just to, uh, just to quote the late great Biggie Smalls when he said, either you're slinging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and, and, and it, 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 it couldn't be more true. It couldn't be more right. true. And, and just to give that book a little bit more shine here, so the name of the book is The Crack Era, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of Kevin Childs. Um, I, I just picked, I looked up on Amazon. It looks like it might be available there, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to cop it. I want I want to read that, and I'm going to Google the hell out of him so I could learn more about him because I, I wasn't aware. Oh, you know, he, he, he got all kind of, uh, interviews and different like like I don't mean I don't want to talk about the competition but like oh, live okay. TV and this that other thing I mean so, and, and right now people people got nothing else to do so man go go ahead and Google right. his name and, and he has some really really in, in depth uh, detailed interviews about his life and and I tell people he's the smartest person I know smartest wow. person I know I mean like he he he's not a drug dealer he's a hustler yeah right and, um, and, and I mean I don't know if you ever heard of Don Diva magazine yeah, that's yeah, yeah. his magazine. That's his? That's his magazine. That's his magazine. He created that when he was in jail. Like, he's never worked for a person in his life. No, my, brother, my brother's a very, very, <clears throat> very, very unique and intelligent individual. Man. You know? That's beautiful. I can't say enough about him. All right. For, for, for that, we, I, I got to give a big round of applause for that because that's, that's big. That's big. 
it's it's big to me on multiple levels, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. So one is, um, I, I like the way that you made the distinction between drug dealer and hustler, right? Because a mm-hmm. lot of people conflate that those terms and and make them feel like they're the same. It's not. That's so true. Right. If, you, if, you, if, you, if well, if you're not from where we're from, you can't relate to that. That's right. So you right. don't know. You can't relate. I uh, like I mentioned to you at, at the open. Um, you know, I've 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 worked in the corporate sector for quite a while, and I know you you've done similar things, um, and it's it's amazing. So I wear the Bronx on my ch- on my chest everywhere Stay I here. go, and, and I also call myself a hustler. And people look at me a little crazy because they know I'm from the Bronx, so they automatically assume certain things. And if mm-hmm. I say hustler, that kind of validates for them what their assumptions are, right? Mm-hmm. And and I but I. I have to explain to people something similar to what you just described, which is like good drug dealers are probably great hustlers, but 100%. you're not necessarily a hustler because you're a drug dealer. Like they're not the right. same, right? Two, so, two, two different mindsets. A, yeah. a drug dealer is somebody, I sell drugs, I can't do anything else. Right. If I get, if I get jammed up, if I get arrested so, and I come out, I'm going to go back to that because I don't know anything else. Yeah. A hustler is somebody that kind of figures out their lane. Yep. finds ways to kind of maneuver the situation and and, and and provide for themselves and make money. Like I said, my brother's never had a job a day in his life. And and this this is the interesting part of it. With the book coming out, and he did an interview on Funk, with Funk Flex that kind of started this whole movement. Because, I mean, he's been he's been home for, you know, 20 years, just okay. about 15, 20 years. Um, and, and we're actually doing college tours. Like, colleges are bringing us in to talk about, you know, the, you know, the life in prison and out of prison, how it affects families and things of that matter. And, uh, you know, the, the judicial system, the inequalities and stuff. So we actually go in there and, and because, I mean, we got an interesting story. You got a guy that graduated from, you know, one of the top schools in, in the world and a guy who was, you know, literally, my brother was the second person that they, they charged with natural life. It was John Gotti was the first person. My brother was the second. No and had, way. And, and he had two hung jury. So like I said, it's a very, very interesting story. Man. So so, wow. so your brother literally would not be here right now if it wasn't for whatever the circumstances were. Two, 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 two hung juries. Two hung juries. You know? And he, he ended up copping in 10 years. He didn't snitch on nobody. And, you know, and they, they arrested. They literally arrested everybody in my family but me. And the only reason they didn't they arrest me because they're like, wait a minute. This guy went to Columbia. And at that time, I was teaching at All Hollows. Uh, like man, the teacher, you know, come on, what, what are we doing? And I'd have had the world, you know, all the uh, Columbia people and everybody calling in, so they knew that that would have made his case look bad. But they arrested twenty-two people the day my brother got arrested. Wow, they, they were all a part of it, or was it just like suspicious? No, they, they they arrested my family, aunts, cousins, because they were trying to squeeze them. They really, I mean, right. the reason why they, 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 their case was bad. Yeah, it was, it was right. all said and done. So they just tried to arrest as many people close to them, figuring that he would just, you know give in but at the end of the day i mean it's funny because we've had the conversation he said tony they they arrested all he said you were probably the only person that wasn't there and then i looked around i said wait a minute all these people are in this bullpen with me i didn't do anything with these people so i know that their case is not that strong uh, the people that i that, that i did business with they're not here they're not so there. i feel a lot better about it you know so, right. so it was one of those things where they knew what he was doing but you know they, they couldn't, couldn't really it. put it together so like i said it, it's all detailed in the book man it's just a, it's a great read and and like you know, if you got that, obviously you got some time to did click yeah. on like the Vlad's interview. He interviewed with a flip, uh, flipped the whatever, flipped the script or whatever. And he had some really good interviews. It's really uh, detailed and and, and and it kind of it, it gets you into his world. You know, it's, 
that's dope. You know, I just want to say this real quick because um, my brother was pointing about the difference between the hustler and the drug dealer. I think it is, I think it's super dope on your end, right, to kind of shed light on the idea of why, like the reason behind why your brother did what he did at the time. You know, because, you know, being in poverty, you know what I mean? It's desperate times calls for desperate measures. And, 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 and people today don't realize, I mean, when I say it was bad, it was bad. It was bad. Right. I mean, right. I mean, like, you know, you wouldn't have heat in the winter. I mean, right. you know, literally. And I, and I tell you the truth, all of that drove us to basketball because, I mean, you know, I, I've been through some tragedies in my life, obviously. My brother has gone to get in jail. My father got sentenced to 105 years, but he got, you know, we, we found the right person. He got out. My mother got killed, handcuffed to two people she didn't know because of the drug game. So, like, I've been through a lot of shit. Oh, my basketball, God. Yeah, listen, basketball saved my life. Like, like literally, when I'm on the floor or when I'm coaching or whatever, and I tell the kids, man, I said, this is the only time during the day where you can lose yourself to something outside of yourself. You know, you can really take yourself to a different place, man. So, like, you know what I mean? Like I said, when we first talked, I have hey, I'm, I'm a very different and unique story to tell, man. Yeah, man. You know, yo, you know I mean, yo, let me tell you. So, first of all, that's a cheers right there. Because for you to be who you are and to have gone through all that, like, I don't even know how you've done it. But God bless you for it, my brother. Like, I... And I'm I'm, I'm I'm gonna throw something else on you. In the time frame, my, my mother got killed February of my senior year in Columbia, oh, and I graduated. So from, so between February of my senior year in college to the age of twenty five, all that shit happened. So eighty nine, my mother got killed. Ninety one, my father got sentenced to one hundred five years. Ninety three, ninety four, my brother got arrested. So like I really, I had no formative adult early I was, I was like tragedy to tragedy to tragedy so that's why I tell you that that's why I, I end up getting into coaching because okay? it's like I said you know what I mean there's a lot of kids that go through things that have to deal with stuff and I it, this I, I tell kids all the time there's nothing you're going to tell me that I can't relate to not one thing so you know so so, so you're definitely not going to get the woes me thing yeah, I'm not gonna let you do that. Right. So I'm like, homie, check this out, man. I had to deal with this, this, and this. So I get it. Yeah. But you know, this, uh, and I, and I tell him like it's funny. Like I said, my son's a senior, and you know, he he goes through some ups and downs. A couple of his friends got killed in the last few years. And I said, wow. gosh, listen, man. I said, you know, it's it's not about what happens. It's about how you deal with it. Mm. Yeah, it's about how you deal with it. Because I mean. You know, a, a coward and a hero go through the same thing. Yeah. Everybody's scared. They go through the same realm, realm of, of, of emotion. Like, man, hey, something, something about to happen here. And I said, now it's just a matter of choice of how you deal with it. One dude runs, runs, you know, and, and finds a hole to, to, to dig, and the other guy steps up and says, listen, I'm going to deal with it, man. So it's just about it's about your decisions and how you deal with things. And, man, and that, that's a big reason why. I stayed in college coaching for the 24 years that I did. So I, I want to get into that a little bit. I don't want to skip over Columbia because I, I think that's going to be an interesting kind of story. But but since we're here in the assistant coaching world, in the coaching world, um, how did you get your start in NCAA coaching? By mistake. Literally. Like, I oh, never fucker. thought about being a coach. I, ironically, I never really got along with any of my coaches. <laughs> I mean, outside of my one AAU coach, a guy named Lamar Dyson, he runs the Raj Strickland, yep. Kyrie Irving tournament. I played yep. for him, Sun Devils. Big shout out to Sun Devils. He's uh, Steve Burt Senior. Uh, Steve Burt Senior and him. Steve Burt, that's one of my best friends. Nice. One of my best friends. Man. Well, so, uh, you're, you're in good so, company because he's also a Dribble and Dime alumni, so you're welcome. Oh, oh that's my dude. You're that's welcome. my dude. I, recruit, I recruited Sun Iona, man. So, okay. I mean, like I said, I, I, I was Steve the other day, man. Like, we speak 
every day. That, that's, that's when I say he the homie. He really the homie. That's so, um, you know, when I was, it's funny. When I was in Columbia, my senior year, January before my mother got, got killed, um, she's like, what do you want to do? I was like, ah, I mean, I'm going to Wall Street, man, make a whole lot of money, man. You know, that's what you do. That's what you go to Ivy League. That's what you, that you do. She's like, ah, I think you'd be a real good teacher, a coach. I'm like, man, teachers don't make no money. So, we, you know, me and my mom, she's like my, one of my best friends. She's like my best friend. So, I'm like, all right, man, whatever. So, um, when I graduated from Columbia, uh, you know, I, went, I worked at Northwestern Mutual. I was a financial consultant. I did a lot of portfolios for people and stuff like that. And just got to the point where I just didn't like what I was doing and who I was doing it with. So um, a mentor of mine, a guy named Walter Arrow, who actually just passed away, I want to say, about two weeks ago. Damn. Um, God bless you. Know, I, he, you know, I mean, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable person. Um, sat down with him. He said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I have no idea. He said, why don't you go back to Ohio's, teach a couple of classes, help coach carry out until you figure out what you want to do. I said, okay. So, you know, I went back. Um, so I was teaching uh, math and history. And I was the head JV coach, system varsity coach. Uh, and then we had a kid there. So I got so many overlapping stories. So let me back up. When I was at when I was working down at Wall Street, there was a kid named Tariq Thacker from uh, from Parkchester. Um, and when I graduated, Walter Howard, like I said, was my mentor. He paid my tuition. He said, "Listen, Tony, it's time to give back." Blah blah blah. So Tariq was my my kid that I was. I was his mentor. He was my mentee. So I paid for four years of his tuition. Wow. At at Ohio, at Ohio's. Now, when I leave Wall Street, he's the senior at Ohio's now. So I'm there. So like he's like like we had, we we formed a great bond. You know, I would take him out. We, you know, what I mean, like he, I, like I really did the mentoring thing. And, so um, you weren't you weren't just a sponsor. You actually participated in the mentorship aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd go to Knicks games. You know, he, he had issues. He had my number. He could call me whatever. Like like he like I, I really I really dove you know two feet in. So his senior year, ironically, I'm coaching him. Um, he's getting recruited by a couple of schools. So um. He ended up going to Manhattan College with Fred Fischel. Okay. So, if you know anything about Coach Carey, I mean, you know, he's as old school as he gets. He like he doesn't want to deal with the recruiting. He ah yeah, whatever. Tony, you talk to these these guys. They're all used car salesmen, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, so, so I, and, 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 he, and he had me believe in that. So I'm like, you know, hey, this is what I know. Well, okay, fine. So I would sit in on all the recruiting visits for the kids that were getting recruited. Back then, we had some really good guys. Rance Porter from Parkchester. We had. Uh, couple of dudes that got recruited in Division One, Division Two, Division Three. So I sat in on all all the meetings when the coaches came in, and and at that time, Fran was really really hot. Like he was like the young guy was like uh, it was Rick Pitino, mm-hmm. Cal, and then Fran was like the number three guy. Like those were the up and coming guys, and he was he was doing a really good job in Manhattan. But I never thought about getting into coaches, so I'm grilling him. I'm like, man, what happens if he gets hurt? It's where Tony gets a four year renewal. I say, yeah, yeah, I know all that. That's good and fine. But what happens if he gets hurt? I know it's one year renewable, but you know, so I'm really getting at him. Yeah. So as soon as we finished with the, with the, the meeting, he called Coach Carey and asked him, would I be interested in getting into college coaching? So I sat down with Coach Carey. I'm like, ah. I said, man, I'm not really with this college thing, man. You know, it's, you know they, they use the kids, they this, they that, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, because I mean, I got my whole, you know, liberal arts background, man. You know, the kids should be getting paid, and uh, yeah. so I get into the whole thing. So he, <laughs> said, well, he, said, he said, well, just sit down with friends. So I sat down with him. And, and I tell you what, Fred, he could sell. He could sell anybody, man. Water to he, a well. He, he, he convinced me to get into college coaching because I went to the interview with the intentions on not taking a job. Huh. You just did it because really, Coach Carey was like, "Yo, you should, you should exactly. give it a look." I was like, "Yeah, whatever." Okay, so I'm sitting there. We're talking. He said, "You know, hey, listen, Tony." He said, "You know, I'm really, you know, my my career is moving. You know, I'm gonna be in this place." Like he he knew that Cal was going to get a job. He thought he was going to go to UMass. 
but he ended up in turn going to, to St. John's. He says, listen, you know, we're going to move fast, blah, blah, blah. He said, but I got a lot of guys on my staff that are intimidated by me. Mm. And if I say the sky is green, they're going to tell me it's green. He said, I, I, the one thing I realized after sitting down with you is that you're not intimidated by me. I said, like, you know, I'm not intimidated by anything yeah. or anyone. Right. At the end of the day, I'm not scared of anything. And I'm not scared of death because I know it's going to happen, that kind of thing. So mm. we go back and forth. And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I don't, you know, coaching. Yeah, I'm not with, you know, kissing these, you know, 17, 18-year-old kids. But, just, ah, you know, so I'm really not feeling it. Yeah. He says, well, listen. He said, well, why don't we do this? He said, Give it a shot for one year. He said, right now you're in between. You're not sure what you want to do. He said, give it a shot for one year. And if it don't work, just dust off your Ivy League d- degree and um, go back and make, make a gazillion dollars. That's, 24, years, <laughs> 24 years later, I was still doing it. That's a really, wow. that's a, that's a really yeah. good pitch because, yo, yeah, he's right. Yeah. I, I, see, I, I'm a big logic guy. Yeah. I couldn't make that not make sense. Yeah, no. I said, oh, right. I was like, touche. Okay, fair enough. Let's give it a shot. You know, and then, you know. Twenty-four years later, man, I you know I, I mean I, I, I borderline did a life bid in, in college coaching, man, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I just want I just want to say this one thing. I know you an intellectual brother because ain't nobody on this podcast ever said the words touche. I just want to put that out. <laughs> That's got Ivy League written all over, it, brother. <laughs> I, said, I, I said I said I hide it well. It sneaks out every once in a while. Man. <laughs> so you so you spent twenty-four years coaching across uh, not that many programs considering the amount of time. So that means you stay put for a relatively long stretch in most of those programs. Well, uh, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really a loyal guy. Yeah. And um, I, I, and what's, what's funny about it is I probably stayed at some places longer than I should have. Yeah. But, but I mean, you know, you, you get there and then you develop a relationship. Like, like I, I'm different, but I've never chased a dollar in this business. Like I've always, it's always been about the relationships, man. And it was difficult for me to leave the kids who I recruited that mm-hmm. I sat there and look at their parents and say, Hey, listen, man, your son's going to graduate. We're going to make him a man. That, that was, that was difficult for me to do. Yeah. That was difficult for me. And in all honesty, a couple of places, I mean, I've been with six places yeah. and of the six, I got fired from three. <laughs> so wow, I, had yeah, I had to leave. I had to leave. That's yeah. not bad because I mean, getting getting fired in in the coaching ranks is very uh, different. Uh, from yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that happens. Yeah. Unless you unless you're at a Duke or North yeah. Carolina, or you, 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 Kentucky you, you, now, you get hired to get fired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. every time the change of the guard happens, everybody pretty much yeah. goes. So that's the way it yeah. goes. Yeah. That's that's what's astonishing yeah. to me because all right, so fifty percent of the time you you got fired, um, but the other half. You were there for long stretches, and you, I mean, 24 years, dog, you don't even look like you've done 24 years of anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people people tell me that all the time, man. You know, I guess it's my taste in wine or something. I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about that, um, especially early on. When, uh, you were getting familiar with the coaching ranks, et cetera. Like, you know, like, did you know early on that, you know, it was a high probability that, you know, coaches get fired and might get like, oh, was there like kind of uncertainty in it, creeping in as far as like one year to the next where you but, but you? but you know, what's funny is I, I never really saw myself as a coach. <laughs> like, I, it's funny. I, I would joke. I like, you know, people like, you know, I sit down with guys. I mean, what do you want to do? I said, listen, tell you the truth. I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. To this day, I still don't know what I want to do. <laughs> Honestly, like so I never really looked at it. Yeah, but but I never looked at it like, oh man, oh man, I need this job. I need this. Oh, oh, like, oh, I'm I never, I never really looked at it that way. But, yeah. Like I never went out and looked for a job. Then that should probably be another reason why I stayed at places so long. I never, you know, the final four coming around guys and getting their resume and running around. I mean, I, 
You know, you know. I mean, it's a podcast, so I can curse if I want to. Oh yeah, hey, yeah. It's, it's your world, baby. So I, always, so I always tell people this is one of the things, and I tell kids this too, and they, they laugh. I said, "But listen, I suck pussy. I don't suck dick." <laughs> I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so, 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 so I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to run around and do. Hey, man. Hey, you know, I want this job. I'm like, if you can't look at my resume and see what I've done, man, then you know, this is not the place for me. Right. You know, and that's always been kind of my mindset. You know? <laughs> Love that, yo. Listen, man, you from the Bronx, baby. That's important. Shit. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I only know how to be one way, man. You know? I love that, man. And so we have no other way here in Dribbling Dimes. Let me just say this real quick, man. I think what comes across to me, and this is my first time meeting you, is your authenticity, right? And I think it's like a, you're kind of like a, you, you get what you, this is what you get. You know, you, you, you know, you all, you see what you get. That's what I'm trying com- to com- comfortable in my skin, man. I mean, uh, right. like I said, I'm not intimidated by any situation or any, any platform, so. You know, either you like me or you don't. So, but but I, I have a question about that, though. Regarding the climate of NCAA as far as coaches are concerned and the way you are as a person, did you feel like you were like, like stand out like a sore thumb as far as what the climate is versus um, you? I, would, I wouldn't say that, but I think my personality might have affected my, my um, let's say, path in the business. I mean, because mm-hmm. if, you look at, if you look at me on paper, I mean, I'm an Ivy League graduate. I've done well everywhere I've been, but I've only interviewed for like two head coaching jobs. But part of that is, is I, I'm not going to tell you something that you want to hear right. to, 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 to put me in a better position. Because like I said, I never looked at myself as a coach. Yeah. I never said I had to be a head coach. Now, did I want to be a head coach? 100%. But I wasn't going to sell my soul to, to, to be in a position to say I was a head coach because it wasn't that serious. Oh, okay, so regarding that, and that's that's a fair point. But let's say just just now, let's talk about years into your profession. Now you're you 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 got experience, whatever. Did you feel like maybe in your ego or something that hey, you know, I could be a head man? So you know, even though you didn't see yourself as a coach, you did you feel like you were good enough to be a head coach? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I know for a fact that if I ever had the opportunity to be a head coach, I'd have done a great job. Sure. Without question, that wasn't even a question. But I mean, like, I've 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 done a lot of things. I've been involved with a lot of things. Like, I'm not an ego-driven guy, man. I'm like, man, I know I'm good at what I do. Like, so I mean, so it's not like I got to go out and prove to the world that you know, and run around and toot my own horn. I mean, if if right. if you speak to anybody that knows me, they'll tell you, man, I, I've never act like I mean, like I've done some things in this business, but it ain't that serious, man. Yeah, it really right. ain't that serious. You you uh, your name comes up a lot in basketball circles here locally, right? And up until now, we've never met. Uh, I've heard your name mentioned countless times. Um, didn't know a ton about you personally, but your name your name was always associated, and it, and it felt like kind of you, you had like a godfather kind of uh, vibe, right? Like it was like they mentioned you, and it was kind of – there was homage being paid kind of like you, you were the godfather, right? Where do you think that comes from? Because again, we're just meeting you now. Like, how did you become this this person that's spoken about so highly? Well, when I first got in the business, there weren't a whole lot of black assistant coaches, head coaches, especially for the New York City area. There was one guy who was like a mentor, like he is the true godfather to all this shit. The guy's name was Kenny Williamson, Eggman, and he passed away. I mean, he was assistant coach at Iona, assistant coach at Florida State, assistant coach at Seton Hall, and then he was the head. He was a, a scout for the Knicks. And he put together that Memphis Grizzlies team with, with all those guys when they made the run. 
And he was Get like out. the dude. Yeah, he was the dude, man. Like, I mean, he passed away of, of, of uh, he had, he had a, a rare form of cancer. Passed away, I want to say, about 12 years ago. But there was nobody like him. Like, he was the only guy. So if you were a black assistant from New York, anything came down, you spoke to him. And he, and he knew me since I was about 10 or 12. He was a Bronx guy? Yeah. And when I got in the business, I mean, you know, and uh, you know, no, no, no disrespect to anyone, but you know, the the, the non brothers, the non minority guys, were threatened by assistants that had a natural bravado, a natural feel for the recruiting part of it. Right. And if you play like like basketball, like I, I, I said the, the basketball part's easy. Like I've been around basketball my whole life. I see some shit. I know what it is. I know how to stop it and do all that kind of stuff. And the recruiting came naturally to me because people people migrated towards me. People knew that I, like you said, it was genuine. Yeah. So, so, so the white assistant coaches, the nine brothers, they they would be threatened by that. So they wouldn't help you, at least me early on, with stuff that scout reports. I never did a south scout report. I said, oh, he can't go left. Push him to the left. Like I never did all that shit. So right. they they really didn't help me with those type of things. So I had to kind of figure it out from trial and error, and and. Once I figured that out, it, there was nothing in the business I couldn't do. But mm. I knew that they knew that also. So they really they weren't trying to help. They wouldn't they weren't outright trying to sabotage, but they weren't trying to give me no jewels. Yeah. So mm. because of that, I was like, you know what, man, if I could ever help anybody, you know, especially somebody from my hood or somebody that I care about or or just in general, man, I got guys, you know, to call me that I've never met. Like, yo, Tone, man, you know, I followed your your career and you know I'm a young brother in the business. You got any advice? I mean, I, advice don't cost you nothing, man. And I just know how difficult it was for me early on to kind of figure out stuff that wasn't natural to me. So because of that, I've always, I've always tried to help guys and, and, and lead them in the right direction and give them advice about jobs. And you know, I tell people, man, all, all, all money ain't good money, man. You know, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I come at it from a hustler's perspective. You know, right. like I say, you know, you know, like I'm like, hey, I mean. And I worked for God Bruiser Flint down in Drexel for six years, and nice. and you know he was he he taught me what it was to be a black head coach. That's why I went to go work for him. And he would say, "Tony, say you know what? Uh, short long money is better than long short money. He said, Man, don't take a job that you're gonna have for three or four years and get fired, but you made four hundred thousand. Yeah, take take this one fifty for twelve years." You know, now until until the right job comes, he said. People chase jobs because of money, yep. and there's some bad jobs out there. Tons. It's bad jobs, you know, and that's why you see every year around the times you got a gazillion people getting fired because yep. there's bad jobs. So you said you sat on the same bench with uh, my guy Dwayne Killings down there in Drexel, right? No, nah, Killing the missed- Killings was at UMass. Killings, my dude. Killings yeah. a little younger than me, yeah. but um. I, well, another guy that I helped get in the bit of Chuck Martin went to St. Raymond. My man. Chuck. That's my man. He from, we from Harvard together. That's my, that's my dude. Um, Great dude. I helped, I, well, me and Chuck go way back. Like I, I, well, we'll get to that later, like I said. But but Chuck was down at Drexel because I helped him get oh. with, with Brew up at UMass. Okay. He's a UMass. He was, at Manhattan. he was in Manhattan. He left because he's working with Gonzo and they didn't see eye to eye. Yeah. So I, I helped him get with, with Brew up at UMass. So he was down at Drexel. I was at Iona. And, uh, and, Jeff Rulin and I, we had a great run, but it, it started to get sour towards the end. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Chuck, you know, I got to make a move now, man, because, you know, start, this is starting to affect me and Jeff's friendship. Yeah. And, and he, he got the St. John's job. Yep. And he told Bruce, and Bruce was like, yo, Chuck, man, what, what are we going to do, man? Come on, you got to get me somebody. He said, yo, man, what about Tone? And the first thing Bruce said, man, Tone ain't coming down here because we had been rocking at Iona. We had won, like, back-to-back championships. 
And everybody thought my next move was going to be to like a really big school. And, and I went down there mainly because I wanted to work for a black head coach to see what it was like in the differences. And there, there's major differences. Yeah. There's, there's major differences. And, um, what and that, that's how I got down there with, with, with uh, Brew, with Chuck left. But I know Kills is my man. I just spoke to Kills about a week ago. So you, yeah, we, we had him on the show recently. Um, love that dude. I, I uh, So he's a little younger than I am. And when uh, we were both at UMass, kind of overlapped uh, about a year before he left to Hampton. Uh, I would always see this tall, scraggly, skinny little dude, and <laughs> he walked onto the basketball team. And I'm like, "Oh shit!" Just out of nowhere, you know. <laughs> but um, but you mentioned people thought you leaving. Well, after that run at Iona, that your next step was going to be one of those power schools. Yes. Were you being courted by them at that time? Um, I almost went to Rutgers with Gary Waters. Okay. I almost went to Rutgers with Gary Waters, but I just. There was there was some stuff going on with his staff, and there were some guys with backstabbing because he was a Midwestern guy in, in the school. Over the, so they they had they reached out to me because they wanted to get someone from New York that knew the landscape. And one of his assistants, uh, Garland Mance, I was really good friends with, and I was I was I was going to go there, but then it just it, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right, and and I was it ended up making sense. He ended up getting fired, and one of the assistants they brought there. Got the job, and it was just a lot of nonsense that went on with it. So, so I think I made the right choice when that when it came out of that. You know, I, I have something to say regarding the uh, the idea of not choosing. What was the? I don't want to misquote here, but the short. What was the quote that you said about short term money and long term? Can you repeat uh, that? Short long money and the long long short money is better than short long money. I love that. I love that. That's the, the, I'm gonna have to quote. I'm gonna write that down. But so anyway, I I wanted to piggyback off that because of like that's a big jewel for you. I think go like just starting off. Oh yeah, and I, yeah, without a doubt. Right, a huge jewel. And because like for me, like outside looking in again, I'm looking at coaches getting fired every year, and like you know, at first like that's just like the, the way it is. But for you, it's like it's it's unique for me because I'm thinking I don't know much about too many law as as far as. As far as not being notable, because you were an assistant coach, but I'm talking about like there were very few loyal coaches or loyal universities to their coaches, in my opinion. Wanna, I, that's, well, yes, that's, that's the minority. But then the rest yeah. of it is like fluctuate. Everybody's like, is a new coach and a new assistant, and and, I, and so I wonder if that if if you just if that kind of settled you or calmed you as far as not being one of those people that push resumes and during NCAA madness time or, or March madness or. Well, like I said, I mean, I mean, my whole life, I've, I've never felt like I had to prove anything to anybody. So I'm like, you know what, man, I'm gonna do what I do, and if you don't think that I'm good enough for that situation, then so be it. I mean, if you just look at, I mean, you know, I came from nothing, literally. So all this is gravy. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I went to public school until I went to high school, Catholic right. school. I was valedictorian. I went to Columbia. So I'm like, man, listen. I ain't got to prove anything. Yeah, you know, like I ain't got to prove anything to anybody. But it, it, I've always been a my, my track record speaks for itself. And if it's not good enough, then cool. I'm all right. No off feelings. But I'm Yo, not going to be, you know, chasing nobody. So. I got to say, man, now that you mentioned Valentine, I'm a little intimidated speaking to you because I don't know if I think it's We only had seven guys in my graduating class. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. You better be the now. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Yo, so, so, so let me ask. 
I was gonna say, let me let me ask you this. So you leave All Hollows or you, you graduate from All Hollows. Uh, you just came off a amazing season. Um, you guys back to back championships, City State. Uh, you're were you were you did you get a scholarship? To go play at Columbia? Well, 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 well Ivy, Ivy League schools, you can't get scholarships. Ah. There's no scholarship for Ivy League. It's all need based. Got it. But um, you know, if they if they wanted, like they made it make sense. I mean, you know, we had to fill out all that the financial aid forms. But like, I had my first summer job going into to high school. I made seven hundred dollars a week, so they got me a really good job. In, into college. You know, so, uh, yeah, so like this was the summer going in, in going into college. So I mean, they, I, I had like great internships, man, wow. and and, and, the, and the connections that I made through Columbia is unbelievable. I had unbelievable internships, man. Shit. You know, not, not just from a paying standpoint, but just just meeting people and, and and being around guys and stuff like that. So you know, I just it showed me like I like at that point I was around money because my brother was getting money, right. but it showed me how the other side of money looked yeah. and what people right. did and how they went about it. So that 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 was a that was a, a very uh, eye-opening experience. So, so you had Columbia on your target list, obviously, you know, when maybe your junior year into your senior year, something like that? No. Okay. No. How did it work? No, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, um, I was like most kids, man. You know, you wanted, to be, you wanted to go where somebody wanted you. You know, and I got recruited by, like, Bobby Cremins at Georgia Tech. Um, I got recruited at uh, Manhattan. I got recruited at uh, Siena. And a couple other places. And actually, Bobby Cremins is the main reason why I went to Ivy League school. Um, back then is when he had like six guys that he would play. You know, and then the other four guys, was somebody's cousin, friend, or whatever, he played six guys and four of them were pros. And I would have been maybe the seventh or eighth guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. And he, he came in and sat down and talked to me. He said, hey, listen. He said, you know, you asked me a question. He said, do you think you're a pro? I was like, ah, no, I'm 5'10", slow, can't really shoot that well. But I was he said, well, if you told me you were a pro, I would have told you, you know. This is the place for you. He said, but Coach Gary told me that you have really, really good grades and that Ivy League schools are interested. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, my advice to you, he said, if you can get into an Ivy League school, I would go. And I was like, why do you say that? He said, because 40 years, 30, 40 years from now, my players will come to you looking for a job. Mm. Made sense to me. Like, kind of like with friends. Made sense to me. I said, you know what? Touche. Again, you know? See, there it goes again. These SAT words. I, 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 I threw that out there again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you make something make sense to me, like I said, I'm a very, you know, I, I, it has to be, things have to line up, have to make sense. If you can make something make sense to me, I can change my mind. But if it makes sense to me, I'm like, oh, you're, okay, that's, that, that makes sense. How, that how, do, how do you try to impart upon the many kids that you've had the opportunity to, to mentor you know, as a coach, but also outside of it, your, your logic, right? Because it's, it's grounded in such a, a real honest place. A lot of these kids that go through the basketball ranks are, are just wishing and hoping for shit that in reality, very few people have the opportunity to obtain. And so what, what Kremens told you and Fran told you, these are things that, I don't feel like a lot of people would tell people like us. I agree. And, 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 and that's, that's another reason why I stayed in coaching so long because, you know, coaching has changed a lot in the 24 years that I've been in the business. And, and, and that's why I, when I decided, when we got let go at Tulane, I didn't even try to get another job really. I was like, you know what? There's just way too many guys that are telling these kids things that are just not real. 
Like, like, like I, I've recruited guys and said, hey, listen, man, you know, my, my boss really wants you here, but this ain't a good look for you. Like, I mean, I, I was always about the kids, about trying to put guys in situations where when it's all said and done, that they can put themselves in a good situation and take care of themselves and their family. And now guys are just caught up in trying to sign guys that are, you know, uh, you know, highly rate, but may not fit into the system, and they'll tell them anything. And I, and I just, I, could, I couldn't, I could never do that. Yeah. I could never right. do that. Like, 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 you know, my, my hypocrisy could only go so far, and I, I just couldn't do that. And, and now it's like, it, it's to the point where you know, people are trying to get jobs. They'll say, "I can get you this kid," or talk bad about somebody else and try to. And I'm like, you know, if if, it, if it's going to get to this, man, I don't, I don't need to do this. Like, you know. I have a question regarding that. So I, I understand you had a, a successful 24 years, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to elude anything by what I'm about to ask. But what I'm saying is, as far as that, as far as the scouting is concerned, right? Because that makes up the majority of what you know, NCAA is, right? Recruitment. My question, oh, yeah. to you, my question to you is, though, do you feel like because you didn't kind of like try to secure all the big names or whatever, you know, by selling them a dream, basically, did that in any way affect any of your relationships or your ties with your coaches, et cetera, like because you weren't maybe selling no, them high or whatever? No, no, don't get me wrong. I mean, check my record now. Let's not get carried away. Every place I've ever been, we've had <laughs> top one, one or two recruit classes in, in, in that league. Like when I was at St. John's, my, my first year we had the number three recruit class in the country. Next year we had the number eight recruit class in the country. The year after that, we signed a number two point guard. So don't get it twisted. I mean, <laughs> no, I, 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 you know I, I kept it clean. I mean, but but guys gravitated towards me. And I tell you the truth, it goes back to, I, it's crazy how it always goes back full circle, my brother. Because if you think about it, everywhere in the country, pe people that are good basketball players, somebody taking care of them. And nine times out of ten, it's somebody from the streets and this, that, and other thing. So I got instant credibility. Yeah. It's like, yo, yo, Kev, your brother? I'm like, oh, oh man, all day, man. I've had conversations with people, dudes like, with ex hustlers that's in the, that's like in the AAU. And I'm sitting there saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. They said, other thing, St. John's, this place, or whatever. They say, yo, man, I know you. I say, you say, you Kev, bro, right? So, yeah, so, so stop all the bullshit. You good. I got you. So, I'm like, I'm like, ready to get, get and do my little song and dance and give it to him the way he needed, you know? Right. They just cut it close. So I mean, but and, and and kids and people that if you're dealing with real people, they they like you said, you guys. I've never met you guys a day in, in my life. And your, your first thing I'll say, well, like you know, you come across as a genuine dude. And and at one point in the business, that meant something. Now it's like you know, it, 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 it's changed, man. It's changed. Like the guys in the business, and you know, no, no knock to them. I get it, man. Get get your money, do what you got to do. Yeah. But uh, certain things I just wouldn't do. I, I couldn't compromise myself. That's beautiful, man. You, uh, yeah, you, you were on the bench, uh, coaching for Bishop Lachlan this this past season, correct? Yeah, yeah, we were horrible. We were horrible. <laughs> we were really bad. Well, you guys, you guys, it, lost... it, was, it was all coaching. It was all coaching. <laughs> we were, were, no, were you the, were you there the previous year? Also, no, no, I was okay. I was in Tulane. But That's I, right. I was there. Like I said, my son's on the team. My son's the point guard. Okay, so the point guard there. So he was yeah, play, you... he was playing with those, the the Champagne twins. 
Yeah, yeah, he he, he passing the ball. I guess they must have beat up on him like my brother beat up on me. Because <laughs> Lord, Lord knows he ain't passed that motherfucker this year. He's every time. <laughs> so we so we could blame your son then for a horrible season. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, listen, hey, God, not with this. Blame it on, blame it on the coach. Man. It's all the coach. <laughs> Yo, but you know, let me just say, um, first of all, like I think the idea of 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 it's sad to me what I'm about to say because I've kind of soured away from NCAA myself just because of just the everything you mentioned before you took the coaching job your first one I've, mm. I still have those sentiments about like kids can well, I, 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 I still feel that way I just worked in the business for 24 years but so right, you, know. right, right. You, do, you got your coin you had to do what you got to do I understand I just I feel like not not just now not that we got kids now going overseas instead of and rejecting NCAA wow. for all together, like bypassing that to get to the NBA. What are your thoughts about that? Do you think that is now outside looking in? Obviously, I, I, I think it's tough. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm my phone may die in about 15 minutes, so so we we okay. got to charge up and call you back, guys. Back, we finish it up. Nah, no but it's a double-edged sword because it, it, that overseas grind is something serious, man. And, and I don't know if the majority of young kids are mentally prepared to go over there and play against these men. Be as far away from home. They're not going to be treated the way they're treated over here because over here these guys kiss their ass. Yep. Right. You go over there, man. It's just a job, and so it's it's a, it's a maturation situation. That I, I, I'm not like I, what I would like is if the G League could really turn it into like a minor league league mm-hmm. to where at least these kids are not outside their comfort zone. Because I think about me from the age of 18 to 21. I couldn't have lived in a foreign country with nobody there, maybe one or two guys, not know the language, and and then still produce and whatever it is I'm trying to do. That's a that's a, that's a tough age yeah. to be sent to a, like another planet, yeah. and, right? And I mean, it's only a short period of time, but in our mind, because we're adults, we look at it as a short period of time. But for an 18 year old kid, 10 months is an eternity, man. right? <laughs> Crazy, you know. You know, and so so I, I'm not I'm not a big fan of that, and that's why I don't think most of those things work when those kids go over there, because it's a culture shock that they're just not mature enough to, to deal with. You know, uh, if, the, if the G League can come up with something to kind of make it a little more of a, and they're working on it, cause like I talked with Rod Strickland and Dre yeah. Barry, who's like my God, so they're there, they're doing some stuff to try to move that in that direction. Um, I think that would be a more viable uh, lane for those guys to, to go into. I, I just have a, a, a real quick point, and this is probably a minor point. Uh, as far as, you know, Luka Doncic, uh, Dallas Mavericks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so, you know, as far as I know, he's been pro since the age of 15 or 16 years old. I, I, I do won't. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I only bring him up for the standpoint of him playing pro ball versus our guys who, you know, they, they move up in their ranks, etc. I wonder if exposing them to pro ball early on would give him that kind of maturation process as far as ball plays are concerned. Now, granted, I understand he's from Europe, so he's you know he's a little more familiar. But I wonder if that aspect of it helps them well, from a basketball standpoint. Well, I think I think it does because it it, it, it they they're playing against men at a really young age, but also they're not spoiled, man. Right. Our, our, our system, man, and it's it's and and like I I love basketball in the states, sure, but but. And people talk about AAU does this and, and AAU does that. It does to an extent. I wouldn't say high-level AAU is, is, is screwing up basketball. I would say it's those second, third, and fourth-tier AAU programs. Mm-hmm. And nothing against them. But 
these kids are going out and playing in these tournaments, and they don't really have a chance at winning them. So now the games are just a game. It's, there's nothing. There's no importance to it. So they're not competing. They know we're gonna play at ten. We're gonna play at two. And we're gonna play at six. So they're just playing games, and it's like it's no big deal. And I experienced that this year, coaching a high school team. So that we had a situation where we lost the game. And guys like me, y'all, man, just, man, I don't even know why we stand. We were playing in the tournament. Guys like I don't even know why we stand, man. If this AAU, we'd be on the playing on home. I'm like, wow. guys, I mean, y'all, y'all playing. Now the game don't mean anything. So it's like you know, so so. A loss is just a loss. A win is just a win, and it's like you know everybody playing, playing, so they can put a couple of highlight clips up on Instagram or something like that, man. So, so it you know, hurts. but yeah, that's neither here nor there. <clears throat> no, um, I'm sorry to cut you off. Are you done with that point? Because I wanted to touch on something real quick. No, go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, because I'm actually a coach at a program at Washington Heights. It's called Alianza, and um, most of my kids are all on two two other teams, one being the AAU program. And I feel like it kind of, the as far as being the competition level, is kind of decreased because they're like, players that, to be honest, they shouldn't be on no team, to be honest with you. I'm like, yo, y'all ain't. And I'm not going to cry. I ain't, I ain't here to snatch those dreams, but I'm like, y'all, if you good, who's bad? You know what I'm saying? They're taking everything. <laughs> like I said, like I said, we had a horrible, we had a horrible season. I got parents calling me, asking me what's up with scholarships and stuff. I'm like, yo, we were really bad, man. You know, <laughs> we, were thinking, hey, we were bad, man. You know, but you know, hey, it, it, it's a false sense of reality with a lot of the situation, man. And, and the problem is, there's always going to be somebody to tell these kids that they're great, even if they're not. Right. Yeah. Uh, as 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 you through your career, um, you've seen. I, you know the height of New York basketball. Um, you were a part of it in your playing days as well. Do you look at the landscape out here and say, "Ah, this area or this region is where the hotbed of basketball now is"? Do Do you have? Is there one? Um, I mean, you know what? It, it, it's so fluent nowadays, man. It's, it's really hit or miss. Whatever year it is, I mean, at one point, LA was just pu- pumping out dudes left and right. You know, New York, we get a hot spin. Chicago, it's just, it, it's really hit or miss. And the biggest issue with that is kids just don't stand still, man. You got kids going to school in California from from the Bronx. You got kids in Chicago from, from L.A. So it's like there's no true, like, you know, once upon a time when, when I played, it was like two or three AU teams. I mean, we went on the road. It was like New York versus everybody. Yeah. Now it's like, right. you know. You may go. You may go play a team in California and playing against a dude that you grew up with, and he's home in the summer. You know, so so there's, there's no there's no region there's no there's no regions for lack of a better term now. Right. So um, Emilio was wondering, uh, why don't you ask about the COVID scenarios? Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, this conversation has been so interesting that I, I didn't want to. I forgot about what the crisis going on. Is, to be <laughs> so, yeah, like nah, man. I'm like delved. I got so many questions because your story is very unique. But I want to know, like, I wonder how you and your family are dealing with it. What do you think about what's going on in the world today as far as the coronavirus and your thoughts? I mean, it, 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 this is something that you know we've ne- at least I've never seen in my lifetime, and I don't think I know anyone that's alive that's seen anything like this. Um, I think the biggest issue is you just don't know. You don't know where the virus comes from. And and I know for a fact, like I said, I'm a logical guy. So when, when they first started to hear about it in China, then it started to get here. I'm looking for, you know, what are the symptoms? And you realistically, the first week or so, you couldn't even find out what the symptoms were. 
Like, you, like so you don't know. And, and, and I think I actually had it about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, because I'm like, I had a really, really bad cough. Yeah. And, and at first it just was a cough. Then I started to feel bad, achy, and whatever the case is. So I went to the doctor. They gave me some, some antibiotics and cleared it up. Then now here it is like a month or two later. They're talking about this. I'm like, you know, I had a cough for like, uh, like a month. Wow. And, and no one knew what it was. So, I mean, you don't know how you get it. You don't know where it comes from. You don't really know what the symptoms are. I, I have year-round allergies. So, like, you know, my eyes are always watering. My, my, I, can, I can blow my nose 24 hours a day. Right. Just about. So it's, it's, it's just – and then you get such bad information from up top. I mean, you know, that, that, that dude there, man, he, he's a little different, man. <laughs> yeah, he's you know? he, he different. <laughs> he's he, he, he a little different, man. God bless him, man. But, I mean, you, I know, love- you can look – you can lie your way through certain things, but you can't lie your way through what's what's right in front of you. Like this right. is not, you know, did, did, did I speak to the Russians? Did I? Did, this is not one of those things. No. This is we got six thousand people in New York City got it now, and we we we've only tested maybe ten percent of the population. So you can't lie about that. You know, I mean, the, the world. I mean, this, the society as we know it is is changing. Now, God, you know, God forbid. Hopefully, this is this is a short term thing, but you know. Like, you know, I'm in a unique situation. Like I said, you know, my son Taj is a senior. You know, he, he lives here with me, but he's with his grandmother because she's a little older. And then my youngest son lives in Philadelphia with his mother. So they actually just came down. So, like, you just don't know how to how to deal with this. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. Yo, I just want to say, man, I love the way you you, you, you call, you refer to, um, to, to him as this guy there. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what you almost, you almost got yeah, that way. Man. I love that shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got your own link, man. You gotta come out with your own book too. He, he's uh, <laughs> right, right now. He's he's the real definition of what a thought is. He's oh th- man, Let's, that hater. Yeah, yeah. that hater yeah. over there. <laughs> yeah, 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 a little different, man. A little different. <laughs> Yo, so 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 to wrap up a little bit, kind of what what's Tony Childs doing today, and. What prospects are there, if any, of Tony getting back into basketball? Well, like, like I said, man, I, I, I still don't know what I want to do with myself. That's kind of been my, my rally cry for the last Lord knows how many years. Um, <laughs> right right now, I'm just doing some consulting work, man. I'm, I really want to do some, some community stuff. Like I said, my brother and I started to do some, well, once all this stuff blows away, we'll start doing some college tours and speaking to kids. And, and, and really, man, I, I just want to kind of, give back to the community man i mean you know the gang situations in, in the city is crazy man so they, i've had a lot of non-profit organizations approach me about you know speaking to kids and kind of not necessarily being the voice but just being someone that they can kind of relate to and say hey listen man you know i get it man all this shit y'all talk about i kind of seen it been there and, and this ain't you know what you are today it shouldn't be what you're going to be 20 years from now you right. know i mean you know you know, put yourself in a situation where you can change the dynamics and um I'm doing some financial consulting stuff. I'm, I'm helping college coaches uh, convert their retirement funds over to a financial planner. So, like, times like now, like, there's really no retirement fund for college coaches. We have, like, TII CREF, where, you know, you, they, they take some money out, they put some money in, but there's really nobody managing your money. So, times like this, and this is crazy that you ask, um, a lot of guys are losing a ton of money with the, the, the market crash. You know, right. and so as soon as I saw it, saw it dip, dip down into twenty thousand. I, I, I text um, my financial guy, who actually was one of my ex players, who I coached in Manhattan years ago, nice. full circle. And I'm like, yo, man, we, am I going to be all right? He said, Tom, man, listen, I took eighty percent of your money out of the stock market, so you're going to be good. But most wow. college coaches, most college coaches don't have that. They just put it in, in whatever TIF crest. And if you, there's no one really managing your money. There's no personal, t- no personal attention there. So 
So a lot of guys took a little bit of a hit. So I, I was doing that for about – I mean, once I got out, I was doing that because I figured there was a need for that. You know, college coaches, you run around so much and you, you worry about the next game, the next scout, the next player that you don't really have enough time to kind of pay attention to your own finances. You know, right. so, so I was helping guys out with that. Uh, there's a couple of agents that I'm good friends with that, you know, I, mean, I, I supposedly my Rolodex is valuable because I know everybody. So, so I'm doing some stuff like that. Just trying to get guys with good people, man. I'm just really trying to connect guys and get people that, that do things and like, you know, like you guys do podcasts, and, you know, stuff like with my brother and stuff. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm hustling. I'm hustling, man. You know, but, You're but, hustling. but, 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 but hustling in, in the sense of where I'm trying to, I'm trying to make, make a difference, man. And it's, it's helped some people out because, you know, I always tell people it doesn't make sense to have a story if you don't really tell it. Man. You know, you don't help people learn from it. Yeah. And on so, that yeah. note, we're gonna cut this shit off because I don't know how else to end it after something like that. <laughs> hey, hey, um, I wonder, my brother, if I could uh, link up with you off camera in the future, just to touch. Sure. Hey, listen, listen, you guys got my number, man. You can call me. Like I said, man, I'm always about trying to help people and connect dots in, in the rap. Like I said, man, I mean. You know, my, my story, I don't know how it's going to end, but, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, at the end of the day, I'm always going to be helping people. Man. I'm always I appreciate gonna be helping that, people, man. You know? Thank you for your time, my brother. It's really a sincere pleasure interviewing you I, today. I, I appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. Man. Thank you, Tony. And like man. I said, man, check, check, check out that uh, Crack Arrow, man. It's, it's a great oh. read, man. And, oh, and we, all got we all got time, man. You can go online and order it, and you have it in two days. Man. That's right. That's it. Fact. <laughs> Doing that right now. We'll do, my brother. Thank all right, you. Man, thanks, man. Peace. Peace. All right, my dude. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dribble and Dimes. If you like what you heard, please leave a review or comment wherever you're listening to us now. Check us out on social media as well. We're live on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. On all platforms, you can find us at D-R-I-B-B-L-E-N-D-I-M-E-S.